God, but we come today just recognizing our need of you, no matter what our background, and, and God, just the way that we can celebrate you in so many ways. And Lord, I just pray as, as I share from my heart, God, that you would speak to people today, that your, your truth would come alive for people, and that, Lord, we would leave here better than we came and blessed because we've come in Jesus' name. Amen. So with that kind of a heritage, it's pretty easy for me to see father as a good thing. Like to me, it was a great experience, but I realize that many of you here this morning may not share that same type of a heritage. I mean, I was very privileged. For you, Father's Day may be an easy time and it may not be an easy time. For you, it may be more of a time of being reminded of something that was absent from your life. Maybe a negative experience rather than a positive one. Maybe you're living with regret when you reflect on how you carried the weight of fatherhood. And you kind of wish that you could go back and change some of those priorities or change, change some of those decisions. But you can't. None of us can. So whether we like it or not, our childhood experiences and our experience with, with our fathers and our relationship with, with them affect how we look on fatherhood in general and on father figures and authority. Now, it doesn't have to define it, but it does affect it. Our past experience, how we lived, what that was like affects it. And it's safe to say to some extent, we all have daddy issues. So let's just be okay with that, all right? <laughs> to some extent in some way. And I would go so far as to say that our perception of fatherhood also affects how we see God. Hmm, that's interesting. Again, it doesn't have to define how we see God, but I believe it does affect it. Now let me explain. If your father was absent or unavailable or so focused on other things that it seemed like you weren't very much of a priority... It's likely that if you, do, if you do believe in a God, that your perception of God is that he is some distant being out there somewhere, but not interested or all that concerned with your life. is distant, disengaged, detached. Or, or if your father was maybe a strong authority figure, he was the authoritarian and and maybe even possibly abusive. We may see God up there as this big punisher, just waiting for somebody to make some kind of a mistake so he can pour out his wrath on you. And you see God as someone that, you know, kind of like with the big stick, just waiting for an opportunity to use it. Maybe. Maybe you had a very casual relationship with your father. It was like hard, hard to tell sometimes maybe who was the father and who was the child. Or maybe you had to kind of raise your parents instead of the other way around. And it does happen. And if that's the case, maybe, maybe when you look at God, you kind of like, yeah, there's a God, but what authority does he have? Like, I'm my own boss. I, I can take care of myself. You know, kind of maybe a Jesus is my homeboy kind of an attitude where it's like it's very, very casual and not very respectful even. 
these are all images that we can project on God. They're, they're things that we can kind of look at who he is, but, but they don't really reflect his true character. They, they come from our past experience, so they affect how we see him. But we, sometimes we need to readjust. We need a, a revelation of who God is. We need a, a fresh insight and a fresh idea of, of who he is. Scripture talks about God in many different ways. And one of the ways it talks about God is as the father. Psalm chapter 68 Said in, in verse 5, said, A father to the fatherless and defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. So it's this image of, of God being a father to the fatherless and, and, and really a defender, someone that's there, someone that protects. God is not absent. He is not distant. He is not detached. And the Bible's full of examples and declarations of the goodness and faithfulness of God. And I'm going to rattle through some of these, and, and some may go up on the screen and some may not, but, but don't worry about that. They are from the Bible. If you want to take down the reference, you can go back and check and make sure I'm telling the truth. It's always good to check on your pastor. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 is where Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. And it's kind of cool because he comes together with them, and they said, teach us to pray. And how does he start? He starts with our Father in heaven. Jesus was talking to his followers, but he was saying, guys, this is relational. He's our father. He's our dad. And we can come to him in prayer and we, we recognize him as holy, but we, we also can present our requests to him. Psalm 145 verse 13, the second half, Psalm 145 verse 13, the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 Corinthians 1.9 said, God who has called you into fellowship with Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, is faithful. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is the perfect father. He's the perfect model of fatherhood. And I don't think we realize many times that the father's heart is towards us. The heart of God is towards his creation to his people. To illustrate that point today, I want to I look at Luke chapter 15. There's this great story there. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So it's the third book of the New Testament. Luke chapter 15, and starting at verse 1. And, and the story goes right down to the end of verse 32. I'm not going to read it all. But Jesus was being criticized by the religious leaders of the day. He was being criticized by those around him. They kind of looked down on him for the people that he was hanging out with. And so they, they challenged him and they, they wanted him to, to maybe take it up a notch and not associate like it was making them uncomfortable who he was hanging out with. So if we start that in Luke chapter 15 and, and verse 1. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That's awesome. Tax collectors and notorious sinners. These were the people that did not meet the religious leaders' expectations. Tax collectors had lots of money and not very many friends. The notorious sinners had lots of friends and not very much money. <laughs> Some things never change, right? <laughs> it's kind of, right? So the, these, these religious leaders were seeing this and they're like, wow, this is crazy. Which we, we look at the next verse, verse 2. The, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people. I'm sorry, I can't help but see a minion when I say that word. 
I am ruined because of the internet. But anyway, despicable people, not despicable me, just despicable people, even eating with them. So it wasn't just that he would bump into these people on the street and say, hey, have a nice day. He was sitting down and eating with them. And in that day and age, eating with someone was like, it was a big deal. Like that was, you were opening your table. There was a sense of community, connection, fellowship. It was, he was really saying, no, I want to get to know you. Let's break bread together. Let's eat together. So Jesus wants to make a point to these religious leaders that are complaining. And so he told the guests at this party three stories, all with the same basic conclusion. These stories were parables. And a parable was a, was a story that was told intentionally to, to, with a moral to it. Like it was a teaching opportunity, so, but it was totally made up. So it was fictitious. Like the, the characters were made up. It was often used exaggeration to make sure the point was made. It was like it, the people didn't really exist. And so it was a time to be able to, to tell these stories in order to help people to understand a principle and a concept. The three stories that he told there were the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. And so as he told these the, the punchline, if you will, the, the impact of each one that the people would readily understand was that that something that was precious, that was lost, was found, and we should rejoice. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Now, I want to focus on the third parable, the lost son, often referred to the prodigal son. You may have heard somebody referred to as a prodigal. Well, this is the story that that came from, the prodigal son. But today it's Father's Day, so in keeping with Father's Day, I think it would be fitting that we make the father in this story the key character. And that's pretty easy to do because that's, whether it's called the story of the prodigal son or not, it's really important to understand the father and to recognize that this story about the father is a description of God's heart towards us. So we look, skip down to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. So, so Jesus has already told the story about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And so he comes to illustrate the point further. Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. It's a parable. There's some exaggeration. These people are made up, but I want you to think about that. Any of you with kids? Child walks up and says, hey, you know, I really can't wait for you to die. No, really, seriously, I can't. So uh, would you give me my money now? Would you give me my inheritance now? I mean, that was an insult. It would have been then. It's like everybody listening to that story would have said, he said, what? Right? Like, that's not proper. That's not proper etiquette. It's like, this was, this was a bit of an extreme thing to do. So it goes on from there. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings, took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all the money on wild living. Uh, loosely translated, the son blew it. He really blew it. First for asking for an inheritance while the dad was still alive, and then to go from there, he, he just loses it all. Like, he just blows it. 
Now, now everybody listening to this story would have thought, mm, this, this young man's not a good man. This is like, they would have condemned him for that, and rightfully so, right? So their, their mind is like, this is just inexcusable. This is just wrong. This should not happen. Okay, tracking so far. Verse 14, about that time, his money ran out. And we know how that works. When money runs out, so do the friends. And a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. So bad to worse. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. And the boy became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees go, Serves you right, you rotten little spoiled boy. I mean, this was low. For him to be this... To be so low to be hired to, to a foreigner is one thing, but to be hired to feed pigs, you have to understand that the, the Jews at that point, like eating pork was unclean, taking care of pigs would have been even a step below that. And, and so he was, he was so down, he was at rock bottom, he was, he was at the end of himself. It's a picture of complete being wrecked. And again, they'd be thinking, man, he got what he deserved. That's what they're thinking. So 15 verse 17 says, when he finally came to his senses, this took some time. Money lasted for a while. He was having a party. It was all good. But when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired men have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm not lo no longer worthy to be being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father. So we, get a, we start to get a picture of the father here. It's like how he takes care of his hired people. He's looking at this and goes, man, he takes good care of, his, he takes good care of the servants. Dad's a good man. Uh, maybe if I go home, he'll show mercy on me. I mean, this is desperation, totally relying on the grace of the Father, putting his faith in the character of his Father, not in himself, because he knew where he was at in himself. And here's the plot twist, if you will. This is when things kind of start to go sideways for everybody listening. This is when the parable has a hook. While he was still a long distance away, his father saw him filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. I mean, what a, what a picture of extravagance. First of all, he was watching for him. Like he, he was on the lookout. He was like, Maybe he was pacing. Maybe he did it every day. But he's, he's looking. It's like, and, and, and he sees him. And, he, and, and, and rather, than, rather than go get the rifle, he, he, he actually runs to him. He runs to him. Like, meets halfway. Remember, in the, I mean, the story, the picture, the image. He was taking care of pigs. He was down and out. He would have smelled bad. He would have looked bad. He was bad. 
But dad not only says, hey, go to the bathhouse and then we'll talk. He runs to him. He throws his arms around him in his filth. He plants a a kiss on the cheek. He loves him and receives him. What an incredible picture. Verse 21, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. True statement. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring, bring the finest robe in the house and put on him. The best, the finest robe in the place and put it on. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. The image that we see here of the son returning. The father didn't just allow him to be a servant. The father didn't receive him as a hired hand. The father received him back as a son. He clothed him in the best robe. He put a ring on his finger. Could have been a signet ring representing the, the authority of a father and a son. It's like, no, you, you, you know, boom. You're, you're back in business. Sandals for his feet. You see, the servants didn't wear sandals. The sons, the owners, they wore the sandals. It was this representation. Son, in, cl- in case you're missing the kiss and the hug, you need to see this. And to everyone that was listening, to, to the Pharisees, to the religious teachers, to, to, the, to the tax collectors, to the notorious sinners, to the ones that, th- that were being told, you don't deserve Jesus' attention. Jesus was making the point very, very clear here. No, you don't come in at the bottom rung. When you come back to the Father, the Father receives you and restores you as a son, restores you as a daughter, made whole, accepted, given authority from, uh, from the Father. There, this is a restoration moment. This, is what, this wasn't halfway. I mean, the Father ran to him. What a posture of a father's heart. To the judgmental religious leaders, the son didn't deserve to be welcomed back. He blew it. Point is, the tax collectors and the sinners didn't deserve to have Jesus eat with them. But Jesus did it anyway. Just like you and I don't deserve the grace of God, but the heart of a father, the capacity to forgive, the call to celebrate, the extravagant outpouring of acceptance and value come from an overflow of the heart of a father. Father with open arms, who was moved with compassion, who was overflowing with love and grace and mercy that was totally undeserved. That's a father's heart. That's our father's heart. That's God's heart. Think about it from the perspective of everybody who was there. Imagine if it was you at the table. I know it was a parable, but man, what a story. What a gift. We have a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost child. Jesus was trying to teach them God loves sinners. God loves people who don't measure up. 
God loves rich people who would cheat someone else just to make sure they're on top. <laughs> God loves people who have blown their spiritual inheritance or their actual physical inheritance. God loves people that others would write off. And he's waiting and he's watching and he's hoping and he's waiting and he's watching for those prodigals to come to their senses, to recognize who the father is, his heart towards them, and come home. Come home and be restored and be accepted. His posture is open arms. I'm actually going to ask the worship team to come back. Different people would receive this in different ways, but it's been my experience at times that, that some, and it might be here today, some of you out there are afraid to come home because you think the Father will reject you. You're out there and you know you're out there, but you don't know the Father well enough to know that if you came to your senses and you made your way towards the Father, that you wouldn't be condemned, you wouldn't be beaten down, you wouldn't be rejected, you wouldn't be humiliated, you'd actually be accepted. Maybe, maybe someone has misrepresented God in the past. Maybe someone has, has misrepresented the church. Maybe someone has misrepresented grace and it's left you feeling that you cannot approach the Father. Listen. He really loves you this morning. I don't know who you are. But his love for you is real, it's genuine, it's powerful, it's available. And he wants to restore you. He wants to pour his blessing on you. And if you're here this morning and you know you're not where you should be, but you're afraid to leave the pig pen, so to speak, just come home. You don't have to get everything right. You don't have to have everything cleaned up. You don't have to smell like a rose. Just come home. And I will guarantee you that when you make your way towards him, he will run towards you and embrace you just like he did that imaginary prodigal son. And there may be some here this morning that you're hearing that and we've talked about fatherhood and we've watched the video and we've thought about all this and you're feeling like you're not a very good dad. And you're thinking about Father's Day and you're th the things that cloud your mind or the times that you've fell short or the mistakes that you've made or those moments. Let me help you. 
You will never be the father that he has called you to be until you let him be the father that he's always wanted to be. Something I've discovered as a dad is that my best moments as a father are when I let his fatherhood work, outwork itself through me. That, that when, <laughs> when something goes sideways, and, and my instinct is to correct, to condemn, to speak harshly, I remember how God has responded to the things that I've done wrong and reflect on the acceptance and the love and the grace of God. Now, God is good. God is perfect. God is holy. It's not to diminish that. But what God does is grace elevates the person. It doesn't diminish the mistake. And when I begin to see my kids that way, I mean, when I begin to see my people that way, I begin to see church, our city, people that God's called me to lead. And I allow the Father to be the Father in me when the Father works through me. Those are the best moments. My hope is that everyone here this morning would walk out knowing that God loves you and he wants what's best for you. That if you're a father, that God is for you. That, that, that his love for you empowers you. That, that dads, being a father in the day and age that we live has gone from complicated to insanity. But I, I'm convinced that, that God's just looking for someone that just refuses to quit. That, that just says, you know, I, I, I'm male by birth, but I can be a father by choice. Dads, don't give up. We desperately need you. God hasn't given up on you. God loves you. God's proud of you. Lean in. Allow God to love through you. Maybe you've got to say sorry for something, but man up. Say I'm sorry. Move on. Love unconditionally. Allow God to work through you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the love of the Father, don't leave here today without feeling that embrace to know what it is to be loved unconditionally and purely and beautifully. Can we stand together? I want to pray for you just before, uh, just before the team leads us in worship once again. And I thank I thank God for our worship team that, you know, God shows his heart in so many ways and is reflected in so many ways. And the ability to connect with God in worship is one of the displays of his heart that he makes himself available in that. And that's incredible. But in this moment, I just want to pray for you. And um, if you want, uh, let's, let's do this two ways. It's like, if you're here and you're a father and would just like me to... Uh, to, to lift you up in prayer and that goes across the board we can pray for one another but just 
that, that you want prayer as a dad, that you, you recognize that it's a, it's a high calling and there's challenges that go with it, that, um, you know, you'd just like to me, me to pray for you. If that's the case, you're here and you're a dad and you'd like me to pray for you, could you just raise a hand and I'll, yeah. Fear hearts, guys. We're in this together. We're in this together. God, I thank you for the, for the fathers in this place. God, who don't have it easy, but we're fathers. We don't care that it's not easy. We're still in this. God, I just pray you would encourage hearts, that you would give strength and boldness and wisdom and love and compassion and strength, Lord, to, to face the challenges, to, to, to love our children, to love our wives, to, to be a father to the fatherless and, and just, to be, just to be present. God, that you would fill us with the ability to be what we can't be ourselves. God, that you as our father, that we would first receive your love and acceptance. And then God, we would be able to, to figure that out, to be able to live that out as fathers. And maybe there's, there's guys here this morning that, that haven't handled it very well. God, we thank you for your love and compassion and forgiveness. And maybe there's some that aren't fathers yet, but hope to be one day. God, you'd minister to them. And maybe there's some here this morning that are our fathers, but they're not even allowed to see their kids. God, I just pray that you would meet them where they are and minister to them in that. God, you would be a father to those kids that they can't be in some cases. God, that your love would find its way in somehow. And God, that you be glorified in that. There's another group of people here this morning. You've never made God your father. He's a God. He's a deity. He's out there. Yeah, there's a God, whatever. But you've never accepted him. And today you're like, man, I want to meet that father. Oh, to have that experience of coming to my senses and returning and and being accepted and loved and embraced and, and restored. I, I don't know what that's like. Brokenness, I know. Pig pen, I know. Love and acceptance, never. If that's you this morning and you don't have to be a son, son, daughter, whatever, and that's you and you just want me to lift you up in prayer, I'd be happy to do that. Just if you would raise your hand and I'll pray for you and then we'll go into worship. So anyone that would be willing to say, yeah, I've, I don't know what that's like, but I would love to experience that. Is there anyone? Yes, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? I said when we were praying beforehand, I said, if there's one, it'll be my best Father's Day ever. God bless you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that no matter where we are, God, we can come to our senses and we can run home. So Lord, for this individual that has indicated that they want to run to you, God, I thank you that you run to them. And as we recognize our brokenness and our sinfulness and we accept you, the Heavenly Father, you accept us. So God, I thank you for this person that has accepted you today. And I pray, God, 
that they would never be the same, that they would sense an embrace of the Father that never leaves them. And God, that we can walk forward together, believing for so much more. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.